Let's get into the Word. This is the final message in the Path of Wisdom series that we've been doing, and it's all, we've been going through the entire chapter of Proverbs 3, and uh, I've heard so many really positive comments about this series. It's been great, and I get to wrap that up today. We're going to look at the final verses of Proverbs chapter 3, the Path of Wisdom, and I, and I love the picture that that provides for us because it is about the direction we choose that determines the destination we arrive at. If you want to go to New York City and you go out to I-95 and you turn south, it doesn't matter how much you want to go to New York and believe you're going to New York, you can end up in Miami, right? And a lot of people in life don't realize that that general direction, it's, it's more about a path that we are on than it is about an achievement or an accomplishment we get to. It's, not, it's more of a general direction than it is a state of being that you're at. You get to that point and they put on your head and you're wise. For, in fact, I, I am in the, I'm moving away from thinking of people as wise, more toward thinking of choices as wise. There's a big, big difference. I mean, <clears throat> according to the Bible, Jesus and Solomon are the two wisest men that ever lived, Right? And look at, the, look at the life of Solomon. You read his whole story. He did some really stupid things. After God gave him unprecedented wisdom. So it's not like you get, you get to that point and from there on you're good and every choice you make is a good choice. This is an ongoing lifelong process that we're in of trying to make choices that when we get to the end of it all and we get into eternity and stand before the Lord, we don't have so many regrets. It's about wisdom. Great, great topic. So today my title is, How Can I Know What's Wise? And these verses in Proverbs 3, starting in verse 27, they, they don't specifically address this, but they make great illustrations of the three points that I want to bring before you this morning. How can I know what is wise? Several years ago, Andy Stanley published a book called The Best Question Ever. Isn't that an engaging title? The best question ever. So what is that question? And the way he answers that question is, the best question is, is what I'm about to do wise in view of my past experience, my present circumstances, my future hopes and dreams. Is this a wise thing to do? I'd say if we ask that question more frequently, we'd probably end up with fewer problems in our life. Is it wise? I'd like to add a fourth thing, though. In view of eternity, is it wise? It's just not only about my past, present, and future here and my hopes and dreams for my own life. But when this life is over and eternity is my next home, heaven, is it wise in view of that relationship with God? So we're going to spend some time and we're going to focus on that today. So let's jump into the, into the text and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll have some fun with this. Starting at verse 27, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor maybe some other time or try me tomorrow. 
when the money's right there in your pocket. Don't figure ways of taking advantage of your neighbor when he's sitting there trusting and unsuspecting. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulder, always spoiling for a fight. Don't try to be like those who shoulder their way through life. Why be a bully? And the way we tend to answer, well, why not? (laughs) Because God can't stand twisted souls. It's the straightforward who get his respect. God's curse blights the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Notice the contrast in each of these verses. He gives proud skeptics a cold shoulder, but if you're down on your luck, he's right there to help. Wise living gets rewarded with honor. Oops. (laughs) Stupid living gets the booby prize. (laughs) That's why I love Eugene Peterson. Uh, He's a great scholar, and I think he really captures the essence. And he also knows the biblical languages, the ancient language, very well. And so I kind of trust the contemporary twist he gives to these verses. So it's that contrast between wise living and stupid living that we're looking at today. First point I want to make. Wisdom, how can I know what is wise? Wisdom is seeing things through God's eyes. And you may remember a couple weeks ago, Jason used that exact phrase in his message. I want to dig down a little bit deeper, and I think these verses, these next verses, make a great illustration of that very point. Back up to verse 27. Never walk away from someone who deserves help because your hand is God's hand for that person. He's seeing a need. And through his eyes, that need looks different, perhaps, than it may for ourselves. Verse 28, don't tell your neighbor maybe some other time or try tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. And don't figure ways of taking advantage of your neighbor when he's sitting there trusting and unsuspecting. What's happening here is we're seeing our responsibility to other people through the eyes of God. What's fun about this, you can take Proverbs 3, and, and basically it, uh, the structure is it divides into three broad sections. The first section deals primarily with our relationship with God. This whole thing of wisdom begins there. Remember, it says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. That relationship with God is the starting point, the foundation of wisdom. It goes on to say, honor the Lord with your substance. So bring the first fruits. We talk about tithing and offering. It's right there in the Bible because God is the giver of it all. And as we are generous with others, he is more generous with us. This is all, all an understanding of how that relationship with God works. And don't, don't reject his correction in your life. Because he's like a good, good father who's just trying to set you up to win. So all the, there's like five things, five specific things addressed in that first section of Proverbs 3 that have to do with our relationship with God. The middle section talks about the blessings and the rewards of wisdom. And now we're in the third, the final section of this chapter. And interestingly enough, 
there's this correlation. There's five things about our dealings with our neighbor that correlate with the five parts of our relationship with God in the earlier part of the chapter. And that's what this is all about. So we're moving from that process. And remember, Jesus said this. They, they asked him, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the scripture? Well, it's love God. With all your heart, soul, everything you got, love God. And he said, by the way, the second one, which is about the same, is love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what this is doing, is taking those two primary factors of life and putting them together. Get a relationship with God that's going to have an impact on your relationships and your dealings with other people. Remember how Jesus taught this? He said, uh, he t- the, when they asked him that question, what's the greatest commandment? And so then somebody says, well, then how do I know who my neighbor is? And Jesus told the story of what? The Good Samaritan, right? About the two really religious guys. I mean, highly respected in society, but they walked right by a need because they were trying to be spiritual. And then the Samaritan guy who is despised by their culture who comes and he sees the need and, and, he, and his generosity just flows out of that and he takes care of the guy. He gets his hands dirty. He, he uses up some of his own precious time to make sure this guy is cared for, pay, uh, cared for. He takes money out of his own pocket to make sure that everything is done that can be done to help this guy who's in need because his hand was God's hand for that man who was in trouble at that moment. So Jesus is just illustrating this. And then there's the other story. I mean, there's multiple ones. But remember the one about the landowner who goes out early in the morning, 6 a.m. He needs helpers in his field. So these are like day workers, right? So he goes out and he finds some, some, some people standing there. They want a job. So he says, come on, you know, and I'll pay you such and such to work today. So they go to work first thing, you know, daybreak. They're out there. Later in the morning, he goes out. He goes back into the marketplace, finds some more people. He said, come on and help me. And then noon again, like four or five times till late in the afternoon, he goes back another time. And there's still some people there that need some work. And he said, come on into my field and, and work the rest of day so at dusk they all gather around because this is the way they did it in their society and they get paid for their work that day because they're going to leave there and they're going to go to the market and they're going to buy some food and they're going to take it home and they're going to feed their family so they can get up and do the same thing again tomorrow so what is in the story jesus says so this guy starts handing out the money and everybody gets exactly the same wage and everybody's going how how is that fair I work all day long. This guy works for an hour and a half, and we get paid the same thing. That's looking through human eyes, right? Through human eyes, it's like, that's not right. And so Jesus puts words in the mouth of the landowner, and he said, hey, did I cheat you out anything? Didn't I pay you exactly what we agreed at 6 a.m.? Well, yeah. Well, isn't it my money? Can I do with it what I choose to do? Well, Yeah. And the whole point of the story is God wants all of those kids in everybody's house to have a meal before they go to sleep that night, regardless of how long the parent worked. He's looking out for the kids. He's taking care of the little ones that can't do, they can't take care of themselves. That's seeing it through God's eyes. There's this paradigm shift that suddenly takes place when we change perspective from what's Perfectly okay in human eyes, but doesn't look the same through God's eyes. 
That's what true wisdom is. It's seeing it through another set of eyes. It's so interesting. I think we live in the most fascinating time in history because there's so much information available to us today, unlike any other previous time. In fact, we've now moved from what was being called the information age into the big data age because there's even a more vast amount of words and numbers that are being collected into what we call data. And somebody's made an interesting observation that uh, perhaps we start with this big pool of data and from that we extract information. And we try to make some sense of it, right? So we, get some, we have data, now we get some information, and then we take the information and we try to move to knowledge. And from knowledge, we try to move to wisdom. But what's so fascinating to me is there's so much information at our fingertips in our world today, and there's so little wisdom. In fact, it's almost like there's in this inverse uh, correlation, like the more information we get, the less wisdom we have. Uh, have you listened to political campaigns lately? <laughs> Wouldn't it seem that we would want our wisest people to be our leaders? I don't know about you, but... Lately, as I'm listening to the political ads, I can't think of a single time when it was over and I sat there going, well, that was really wise. (laughs) Most of the time, my reaction is, that's stupid. And I'm talking about both sides of the aisle here. Uh, Wisdom is a rare commodity in our world today because we've lost our respect for the source of wisdom. And we think we can figure it out on our own. And so rather than putting people who are wise in places of leadership, we just tend to try to pick people that share our values so that they give us what we want. And it's leading us down a hill, a slippery slope into a muddy mess. It's about wisdom. You know, even when you get to the point of wisdom, then you have to differentiate because there's two different kinds of wisdom. You got the human kind and you got the God kind. And they're so, so, so different. And they frequently conflict with one another. And every time God's wisdom and human wisdom conflicts, we have to make a choice. Which way are we going to go on this thing? And honestly, I think... Fewer and fewer people are making the choice. I mean, it's like, say, well, you know, you, you expect me to base my life on the Bible? You want me to believe in God and all that archaic stuff? I mean, this 21st century times have changed. You know, let's get into the, get into the present, you know. Um, I don't need all that old-fashioned stuff because it doesn't speak to me any longer. Really, it's God's wisdom. And when we get smarter than God, we set ourselves up for some serious risks and potential regrets god's wisdom well as an illustration let's go back to the first chapter of proverbs verses four through seven these proverbs so this is solomon right introducing this whole book 31 chapters these proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young so he's saying there's some people out there when he uses the word simple he's talking about people that just not the brightest bulb on the tree, if you know what I mean. Um, they need some help. 
and knowledge and discernment to those who are inexperienced because inexperience teaches us painfully a lot of our lessons, but these Proverbs can help spare some of that pain. But verse 5, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser and let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and the riddles. And here's where I'm going with this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Your version might say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. But if you want to be truly wise, then you move away from the human kind of wisdom into the God kind of wisdom. And when there is a conflict between the two, you find the courage and the faith to trust God over the popular culture that tends to drive most of our choices in our decisions. Case in point, let's look at Jesus, Matthew chapter 7. And if you're familiar with this part of the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, are what we call the Sermon on the Mount, really. I mean, in, in, in all of modern literature, literature of all time, some of the, it ranks right up there among some of the most famous writing that's ever been done, the Sermon on the Mount. So when you get to the very end of this, Jesus has been talking, and basically what he's done through those three chapters is he's saying, um, hey, you're familiar with uh, this uh, passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, and you've heard the preachers in the synagogues teach on all of this, and they're telling you this, this, and this, but I'm telling you the real view of it is this, and I mean what that says to us, even sometimes the best of our, even our our religious understanding of life can be skewed because it's mixed with our human application of it, and we need to go back. So what's amazing is Jesus finished these saying, saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were, they were stunned by what they're hearing, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Very, very different. Why? Because you got heaven and earth connecting here in the form of Jesus. And that's where wisdom happens. When you take heaven, the wisdom and knowledge of heaven, you apply it to the real life here on earth, that's wisdom where that connection point takes place. And that's the goal that we're looking for. Another set of eyes can often be a blessing and a help to us. And we experience that all the time. I mean, one of the stupidest things I ever did was uh, I ignored the help my wife was trying to give me, right? So here's the story. We're on an airplane, right? We're flying someplace. And, uh, and, I, and I had this really, really good set of uh, sunglasses, prescription lenses, and most expensive sunglasses I'd ever owned, the best ones. And I hung them on the back of the seat in front of me in that the pocket. I had them hanging over there so I could see them. Don't shake your head like that. <laughs> So the plane is landing, and Joan says to me, don't forget your sunglasses. And my smart aleck response was, yes, Mom. (laughs) So you know what happened, right? So (laughs) So we get engaged in this really interesting conversation with a lady who's sharing the seat beside us. And uh, the plane, we taxied to the terminal, and I'm getting down the, the, the luggage out of the, the, the rack, and the conversation's going on. Walk off the plane, get to our next gate. 
and I realized I forgot my sunglasses. And, uh, and, I, and I said to Joan, I forgot my sunglasses. And she's like, oh. I mean, to, 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 what, what she said was, you know, you, I, I thought you said you had it, so I just put it out of my mind. I'm sorry, I would have helped you. I, I missed out on some help I could have gotten just because basically what I was saying is I don't need your help. I wonder how often we do that to God. He's saying, let me give you some wisdom here that's going to help you through your life. No, I got it. Thanks, but no thanks. And we walk away from the very help that would save us. I, ne- I still haven't ever owned a pair of sunglasses as good as those ones. <laughs> and I haven't lived down what I said to her either. So whenever Yes Mom comes up, it's not a good moment at our house. <laughs> All right, let's move on to point number two. Enough of that. Wisdom is properly framing our choices. Don't let me lose you here. This is very, very important. Properly framing the choices. And most of our choices have to do with how the question is asked. And we can frame those choices in such a way that we feel good about our responses when in fact if we had reframed them like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, we would see that his view makes so much more sense than ours, even when it's stunningly different from what right now we believe to be absolutely true and right. Well, let's look at the scripture for a moment. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulder, always spoiling for a fight. Don't try to be like those who shoulder their way through life, push their way through life. Why be a bully? Well, why not, you say? Well, because God can't stand twisted souls. It's the straightforward who get his respect. So a week before last, I had my first encounter with fire ants. I've been here three and a half years now, and uh, I'd heard about them, but now I know about them by personal experience. I still got, I think I got 50 bites on this arm alone. And I, I, last week, I had four or five really uncomfortable days and nights. <clears throat> here's, the, here's the deal. I was working in my own backyard pulling up some old landscaping fabric so we could put some new stuff down. It's like, I paid for this land. It's mine. And these little critters had a problem with that. They're like, no, you're disrupting our home, and we're going to make you pay for that. (laughs) And did they ever. Sometimes we have competing interests. I think God put those things on you just to remind us that not everybody's friendly. (laughs) Sometimes those competing values end up with this kind of thing where there's relational conflicts and pain that comes through that because we're going after the same thing for different reasons and we're fighting over the turf that we think belongs to us that somebody else thinks may belong to them. And we just need to be careful in all of those relationships because... Um, God wants us to have relationships that honor him in every way. But where I'm really going with this is this whole idea of framing choices. Because it's changed. It has changed in our world. I'm 66, and I can tell you over the last 50 years, the value system of American society has shifted. We're, We're operating out of a different set of values today than we have. And culture is the result of those values. We talk about culture. A great definition of culture, if you want to make it really simple, is it's the way we do things around here. So every family has a culture. 
That's how we do things. Every church has its own culture. Every business, every organization has its own culture. Every nation has a, a general culture in the population of what's acceptable behaviors, the norms, the common ways that we do things that we all understand are the unwritten rules that we all get and we live by and we violate those people interact with us. I mean, you can walk into a place that you've never been in before and almost instantaneously feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed that? If you were to dig deep, I guarantee you in almost every case it has something to do with the underlying values of that place, that organization. You just sense it. It's there. All of this is changing. It has changed for us, and it is changing, and it will change even faster in the future because once the values have changed, the norms and the behaviors will shift even faster to catch up with those values. And that's what you say, what in the world are you talking about? Let me give you, give you an example of this. That's a hot-button issue today, public restrooms. So previously, the question about public restrooms and the signs on the door and how they're identified is it was strictly based on biology. And the question was, how do I take care of my physical, my bodily needs in a public place? But because of a shift in culture, now the question is no longer about the physical needs. It's what are the emotional needs of people? You follow me? Listen. It's what, what do we need to do to make everybody feel comfortable emotionally in a public setting to handle their needs. The signs, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you shift that way because we're talking about we've lost our common sense. Well, if you shift your values, then what you consider common sense changes with that and you end up with a totally different answer to the same question. What does the sign on the door look like? So this is where we're at and in my view, gray is the new black and white in American society. Amen. And we live by all shades and tones of gray. And by that I mean there's no longer right and wrong, or very little, this is right and this is wrong. It's like everything's okay. And that might be a little bit more okay, and that might be a little less okay, but it's all okay. And how dare you say something's not okay that is actually wrong if somebody else is doing that because then that makes you a bigot of some kind. And so it's a shift of values that results in reframing the questions and the choices that we make that changes everything. And here's what I'm saying today. We got to go back to God's wisdom. Because if we don't, no matter how old-fashioned or archaic it may seem to you, ultimately that's where the true wisdom lies. And, and when you move away from that, you just go so many scrambled directions, you don't know what side is up. It's about... I mean, so let me give you a great illustration from, about this from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 9. It's a really fun, uh, a fun passage. So you've got two females in this chapter. You've got Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And he's contrasting the two. I mean, they're in the feminine gender in the Hebrew language, so it works really well. And so it starts out, the first six verses are about Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. 
She's carved its seven columns. And what he's describing here is a, an architecturally satisfying place. I mean, she's put some thought and some effort into this, built a really nice house, and she's prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines, set the table, and she sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says. And please pay attention with this because I think you're going to see some similarities coming up. Come eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. So you got Lady Wisdom, and she is, she's about the finer things of life. Nice house, great food and wine, open, friendly, welcoming, come on in. Life is going to be better. Come join us. All right, look at the contrast. We're going to jump to verse 13. The woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant, but she doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking a city, so she's out in this public arena as well, but she hadn't bothered to really build a decent house sitting on the front porch. And she calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. And look at this. Look at the similar. Come in with me, she urges the simple to those who lack good judgment. She says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. In other words, it's the forbidden things. It's the sinful things in life that are the most fun. And I'm going to provide all of that for you. And it's amazing how on the surface wisdom and folly can look so much alike. But then you get to verse 18, but little do they know that the dead are there. Remember, wisdom was offering life. Her guests, follies, are in the depths of the grave. There really is two different... According to the Bible, not everybody's going to end up the same way in the same place. There are different paths that we can choose, and they don't all lead to the same destination. There's a path of wisdom, and there's a path of folly. And sometimes, many times, I'm going to argue the differences in how we frame the questions and the choices that we make. And I think this passage is very, very clear. If you don't maintain a pretty good amount of black and white in your life, and you go to all shades of gray, you're very likely to make some choices that you will regret at some point in the future, all the while thinking you've chosen the good life. Let's move to point number three. Ultimately, wisdom is seeking God's approval and reward. So let's look at these final verses. God's curse, and I just want you to notice the contrast again in each of them. God's curse blights the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He gives proud skeptics a cold shoulder, but if you're down on your luck, he's right there for you. Wise living gets rewarded with honor. (laughs) Stupid living gets the movie prize. This whole chapter has been urging us toward wise living. Don't be wise in your own eyes. There's some really smart people in this room, but it's the same for all of us. Our own wisdom, the best of it, is not going to measure up 
to the wisdom of God and seeing it through his eyes and allowing his word to frame the choices of life that we make versus what popular culture is calling to us to do. A wise living gets rewarded with honor. Best compliment I've ever gotten in my life came by from a guy by the name of Tom Schultz. He was a leader in our church uh, back in Virginia. And Tom had been attending church for quite a while. And maybe it's the best compliment to me because of uh, the, the high respect that I had for him. But he said to me one day, he said, you know that old TV commercial? Uh, the closer she gets, the better she looks. Anybody remember that? I, I don't know if that was toothpaste or hair color or what, what it was. But there was some, most of you don't even remember. <laughs> but the whole idea was... You know, that sometimes in the distance, things look really good. And when you get up close, it's like, oh. And when he said that to me, basically what he was saying is, I trust you. I've had a chance to watch you for a while. And I see some sub substance there that who you are is who you are. And, you know, you, know, you know, I guess the reason why I love that so much is because that's the kind of thing I want Jesus to say to me someday. You lived well, you listened, and you acted according to the wisdom that I gave to you. And that's really what this is all about. There's such a difference in living our lives to be popular with everybody else or to care less about everybody else and just do it for ourselves because it's what I want versus I'm going to live for God's approval and his reward. I'm going to live and make my choices in view of an eternity that seems so distant at this very moment. But when that moment does come, I want it to be the best moment of my existence. That's what true wisdom is really all about. Paul put it this way. We need the mind of Christ. Let's go to a New Testament passage. We're going to wrap up here real soon. 1 Corinthians 2 if you read the verses preceding this, you see Paul talking about wisdom. And he's writing to a Greek, uh, predominantly Greek culture who in that day were all about the philosophers and wisdom and all of that, Sophia and uh, the temples of worship and the public arenas where they had these grand discussions going on. And to that audience, he's saying there's another kind of wisdom these things he's saying, the truths that he's proclaiming in the, in the simplicity of the gospel, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And then he presents this, this logic for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. I don't know what you're thinking right now, but you know what you're thinking right now. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But look at the accessibility of that to us. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, the wisdom of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. And then to jump to verse 16, for quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then Paul responds, but we have the mind of Christ. That's where the wisdom is. 
I mean, Jesus was able to take even the Old Testament scriptures that were so well known by the audience of his day, and by giving them a heavenly view on those truths, completely flipped their paradigm. It's the mind of Christ, and it's available to us. It's his gift to us. I want to close with one, uh, just a few verses, one final story from the New Testament. I just felt impressed to go here in wrapping this up today. The story comes from Luke chapter 7. And uh, the setting is Jesus has been invited, invited to the home of a Pharisee, a respected religious leader by the name of Simon. And there are other guests present, and they're sitting around the table. And then there was kind of a reclining position as the tables were close to the floor. And this woman comes in. And she's immediately recognized, the Bible says she's an immoral woman. So possibly uh, a prostitute or somebody known for loose living. And she virtually collapses at Jesus' feet. And the tears are flowing. In fact, so much so that the teardrops are literally wetting Jesus' feet. And she takes her long hair and she dries his feet. And then she brought this very, very expensive flask of perfume, rare in that day. And she starts anointing Jesus' feet with that perfume. And Simon, and probably everybody else in the room, is sitting there thinking, the Bible tells us he's thinking, well, I was kind of wondering about this guy, but now I know he certainly is not a prophet. He's not a discerning man. He has no spiritual insight, or he would know who this woman is and what she's all about and what's going on right now. So he's writing Jesus off, and so Jesus speaks up, knowing his thoughts. Jesus answered him, Simon. He's answering his thoughts. Simon, I've got something to tell you. Okay, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You might be here this morning thinking, I'm so far off the path of wisdom. I got so many regrets. I've made so many mistakes. Can I just tell you, Jesus is saying, you're the one I'm after. Because I know when we connect, your love for me is possibly going to be richer than others around you. And this morning, I just want to let you know, it doesn't matter where you are right now in life. Jesus is offering to you the gift. Of, he, went, he said to this woman, he said, listen, time, at the end of this conversation, you're forgiven. The past is forgiven and forgotten. You've got you to gotta fresh start right here, right now. Just go on your way and live out the future that I have planned for you. And that's what he's offering to us. Would you bow your heads, please? We're going we're gonna to wrap up here in just a moment. But I want to offer an opportunity to you, me, to lead you in a prayer of receiving Christ into your life. 
That's what that mind of Christ is all about. It's like, first of all, it's the freedom of his forgiveness that releases us from the past, no matter what that might be. And then next, it's this this change of thinking, this change of heart within us that puts us on a on a new path, a new journey, a new future ahead of us. That's what he's offering this morning. You're here today and you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ in my life. I want him as my Savior, my Lord. I want him to direct my future. Can I pray with you right now? Just slip up your hand quickly. This is between you, me, and God in this moment. We're going to close with a prayer, and you're going to be on your way. But if Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now in this service, Respond. Don't miss the opportunity to say yes to what he's calling you to. Anybody? Just slip up your hand so I can see it. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else want to join you? You can put your hand right back down. Anybody else? Lord, this is, a, this is an awesome moment. <clears throat> your word has spoken to all of us here today. And we realize you're offering a gift of life that we cannot produce for ourselves. It's your generosity that gives that to us. So we receive your grace here in this moment, Lord. That grace that covers all of the sin, the regrets, the mistakes of the past, that that gives us a, a clear beginning, a fresh start toward a better future than only you can give. Thank you, Lord, for your love. We put our faith, our trust in you. We believe you to be the one who is came to earth uh, through a virgin birth and you lived a sinless life. You died on the cross and you were resurrected back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You live today and you're offering us a home in heaven with you for eternity. And gladly we embrace that for Jesus' sake. Amen.